This is On Diversity, a podcast series by the Institute of Policy Studies, Singapore. This is the third season and I'm your host, Liang Kai Sing, Associate Director of IPS and also a former journalist. Today's episode is in conjunction with IPS's annual flagship conference, Singapore Perspectives 2023, and the theme is Ageism at Work. Today we have Mr. Heng Chi Hao, Deputy Secretary General of National Trades Union Congress, NTUC, and also Senior Minister of State for Defence. We also have Dr. Helen Cole, Associate Professor, who is part of the Master and PhD in Gerontology Programs at the SR Nathan School of Human Development, Singapore University of Social Sciences. Welcome to the podcast today. Thank, Thank you. you very much Thank for you. having me. Yeah. I'll just go straight because, you know, Singapore has one of the most rapidly aging populations in the world. And so our labour force participation rate for Singapore residents aged 65 years and above was at 30.1%. And this percentage is actually expected to increase. At the same time, we have a survey by the Ministry of Manpower released this year, which found that the incidence of workplace discrimination has dropped after four years, but among those who have reported that there was discrimination at the workplace, the top reason given was that it was because of ageism, because of older age. So I would like to ask the both of you, what does ageism look like in the workplace in Singapore and also how prevalent is it in Singapore? Who should we go first? <laughs> Okay, maybe I'll start first. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think the ageism in the sense of how it will look like at the workplace, I remember one participant of my training program was just sharing with me how this older worker had to disguise his age, so to speak, to lend himself an interview. He applied for many, many jobs but couldn't get even an interview. So what he did was that he actually used a photograph of himself, a much younger photo of himself. Photo. <laughs> yes, very old. And then omitted a lot of the work experiences. Because if he were to list all his work experiences from what year to what year, they would know his age, right? So what he did was he just decided that, okay, I'll omit all that. And then, true enough, the person that was conducting the training for is actually a HR manager, I think, one of the employers. So she said, my boss asked me to interview this person. Then after that, she told me, she said, after she knew about this man's sort of age, she said, do you know how old he is? She asked her boss, huh? Well, this is one example of how ageism could look like in the sense of lending themselves an interview for seniors. So that's one example, yeah. I think when we talk about ageism, first of all, I think we want to distinguish between ageism and ageing. Because a person's chronological age and his or her experience or expectations or perception of whether there's been uh, ageist attitudes expressed toward him or her differs from person to person. So if you were to ask this question, does ageism exist in the world and in history? The answer must be yes. Could there be ageism in Singapore even now? The answer is there probably is. And the question is, to what extent is this a huge problem? Studies will continue to be done to gauge the size of it. But obviously, it is something that the tripartite partners know exist in some cases and can exist and therefore you need to put in certain guide rails in order to better safeguard the interests of older workers or mature workers right up front. So do things either by way of legislation, guidelines, promotion of right practices so that people are more aware of it, both employers as well as workers, each of us as we age and more of us would then be more predisposed hopefully to do the right things knowing that if you don't, then uh, there is also recourse uh, on the part of the employee who feels that he has been disadvantaged because of age. It is a realistic approach to things and the outcome of that is, as uh, Cassini pointed out, the employment rate for older workers stands at about 3 in 10 and actually if you trace back over the last 10 years, it has actually gone up, even during COVID. It is a approach that works, but it is a journey that never ends. So, Dr. Ko, I think you mentioned about the difficulty of landing a job interview, but I think there are also some other ways that ageism can appear in the workplace, right? So, actually, I was looking at another study and they were saying that the prevalence of, you know, the term OK Boomer, which also may make it not so conducive for 
elderly workers to, to be in the workplace. So other than that, also people would say that these older workers, they may be less educated or lack relevant skills. Do you think these reasons hold water and how can older workers be supported? Well, I would say that if we want to promote an inclusive society, these reasons certainly should not be, should not stand. Our um, society has always focused and for many years on promoting yeah, an inclusive society. So I would say that older people have contributed so much to our nation building. And so certainly we should assist them, facilitate their employment. And I think one of the ways which is very, very important in my mind is that, which I've also carried out some research in this area, is that we need to not just upskill them, but we need to upskill them with appropriately trained instructors. I've conducted a lot of trainings for older workers, so I hear a lot of such difficulties, challenges, and in my research that I've carried out, for the lower-wage, lower-skilled older workers, I did this research a few years ago, and they have cited the difficulties in terms of attending, you know, in fact, they do not want to enroll for causes because of fears, lack of confidence, and instructors do not understand them, the challenges that they experience. So these are some reasons, and many of them, especially for the you know, lower-educated ones with, in fact, very little basic education, they, they really struggle. They actually mention two steep learning curves that they are negotiating, technology part, and then the other part is the, the content. Right? The study that I was engaged in is on workplace literacy program, the basic English, basic literacy program. So they, they had tremendous difficulties because of that. And as a result, they do not enroll for classes because they are afraid that they, they can't you know, negotiate that kind of, you know, that two steep learning curves that I mentioned. So I think instructors of older workers need to be appropriately trained to understand some of these challenges and difficulties of older workers and use training approaches, methodologies, delivery methods uh, that would resonate with them, that they could identify and connect with. Yeah. So these are some important points to note. Then the other part I would say is that IT ambassadors, if we want to continue to integrate older workers into the workplace, then we need to, in fact, a study conducted recently by Care Centre for Aging Research and Education under the NUS revealed that older workers, they did acknowledge that technology is one of the greatest challenges that they experience. So what they propose is that if they could have patient guidance from IT ambassadors all right, at the workplace, that would be very helpful. All right? And another one would be, I mean, other studies, research elsewhere in overseas, in, in UK, for example, have also shown that job flanking on, on the job training that is closely aligned to the actual job requirements would be very helpful for these older workers in particular. Yeah. Maybe I will come in from the point made by Kaisin earlier about statements like "yes, boomer," no? <laughs> not helpful, it's and statements like statements like "what do you expect out of the uh, strawberry generation," not helpful. That's true. So it is statements like that, right? That you have a broad brush thing and you knock everybody as a cohort, knowing that actually it is not true. I was very impressed. This was quite some years ago with a radio advertisement. It was like that. No? First, you hear a piece of uh, very nice classical music being played. And then everybody was expecting the question to come, who is the composer? What's the name of the piece? But no, the question was, how old was the musician? And obviously, it was a radio program. No way you can tell. And that advertisement was precisely to say that you cannot actually tell or assume something just by asking, how old are you? And... Just now, Helen was talking about yes. learning curves. Actually, the other curve I want to talk about is the bell curve. Okay. Uh, frankly, because in other words, any age, you're going to get a bell curve. You have a younger cohort, you're going to have lousy workers, <laughs> average workers, very good workers. You have an older cohort, you are going to have very bad 
older workers, average older workers, and very good and fast learning older workers. So again, I think we want to avoid this thing about trying to generalize and say that if you're an older worker, you can't learn because you can equally find examples of such among younger workers. So the thing is really to afford people the environment and the tools with which those who want to help themselves can be encouraged and then there are mechanisms and structures through which they can help themselves. So I just wanted to say that we are hardly out of COVID yet. So two over years of COVID, and one of the good things about COVID has taught all of us in the area of technology, for example, regardless of our age, that lo and behold, in a nice way, we discover to our delight that actually we are all quite capable of learning new technological apps and you know other tools compared to before COVID. So sometimes necessity is the mother of invention or adaptation. <laughs> so actually, by doing this, various things happened. You want to talk about flexible work arrangements, then employers find that actually there's a lot more scope. You could access bigger pools of talent and workers that way. Mm. Workers of all ages, including older workers, are required because the business model has to adapt to survive. They have to learn new skills in order, like all other workers, in order to hold on to the jobs better and lower the risk of being displaced, right? And I think everybody therefore understands the situation, puts an effort and goes further than he or she would otherwise have. So I think this is also a very good illustration, both as an encouragement to older workers. Mm. There's this old cooking program called Yen Can Cook. The chef uh, Martin Yen, yes. right? He looks like your uncle next door. And it was that basically to say is that if Yen can cook, so can you. In other words, never rule yourself out. You know, I work in the NTUC, so let me share a little bit about what, what we're trying to do, right? A sure. bit of uh, Koyo. Uh. But um, <laughs> you see, the serious point is really this. I totally agree with what Helen said just now in terms of maybe there are different pedagogy. Oh, Actually, for older adults, it's, uh, we call it geragogies. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Geragogies. So, so, geragogies. Okay. so, so yeah. you have to adapt to different ways of teaching according to the needs and, and the preferences and so on. That's one part. The other thing is really structures and mechanisms. Yes. I think it's not so easy to say that I give you money or I subsidize the cost fees up front and then please go help yourself because what do I get trained in? In the right thing that's in demand and so on and so forth, right? What's the thing that my company needs next? Yes, so relevancy. That, yeah. ah, We're talking about so really that, relevancy. So that then I get myself trained in good time mm. and then mm. I will still be needed by the company in the next phase of growth. So you might have heard of this thing called the company training committees or CTCs uh, that NTUC has been trying to promote. Essentially, it's, this. it's just that for companies that already have mechanisms like that, whatever you call them, fine. But if for companies that do not yet have set up mechanisms like that, then you have, if it is unionized, then you have union reps. If not, then get worker reps in mm, any case. Yes. Work together with management, sit down, talk about the future plans, talk about the skills needs, and then talk about how you could give everybody a, a fair go at it. And this one, I just wanted to say that sometimes the worker becomes the worker you assume he or she is. So in other words, if you think that I'm an older worker, you meaning the employer. If you, the employer, thinks that uh, I'm the older worker, I may not have much runway left with your company, so you don't give me the chance to get trained. Then what happens is that obviously then my skills are more likely to become outdated and then you say that I cannot perform. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy Absolutely, of sorts. Yes. So one of the things about tackling ageism in a practical way in a workplace, for example, is to see to it through mechanisms like CTCs or real, mm. similar mm. that you enable the company to train its workforce broadly. Mm. So it's a, it's a point about fairness, but it is also a point about effectiveness because the company actually needs the best workforce and you really don't want to cause obsolescence of your older workers because of neglect, you know, and not because of lack of capability. Yes. Yes. Mr. Heng, actually, I have two points that came out for what you said. It struck me quite deeply because number one is bell curve. Because I was also looking at the MOM survey and it said that the main reason why workers over 40 who felt that they were discriminated is because they felt that it was related to career development, salary-related matters and promotion opportunities. 
So obviously, bell curve is often related to our appraisal, you know, whether like your supervisor will give them a good rating and not. And I guess sometimes some older workers may felt that they are not appraised properly according to their age. That may be true, but I actually really want to emphasise that point. I'm so glad that uh, Mr. Hing has brought that part up. Two very important concepts that we need to remember is that older workers are very heterogeneous. Okay, heterogeneous, very, different. very diverse. Mm-hmm. Right? So at each cohort, hugely diverse in terms of their cognitive abilities, their functional abilities, their life experiences, their educational backgrounds. So because of that, you know, it's really very diverse. And older workers itself, I mean, you say that cohort already spent a few decades. <laughs> right? So hugely diverse. So we can't lump them together. So again, this is something that for us to really bear in mind, you know, when we plan programs, policies and, you know, what have you, what, whatever that we may be you know, trying to develop for older workers. Then the other point that I really would like to emphasize is assumptions, all right, which you mentioned, assumptions. We make a lot of assumptions. And very often, because of that, we hold a lot of stereotypical views, wrong perceptions, beliefs about older workers, and we really should refrain from that. Like you have said, Mr. Hing has mentioned about, you know, they are so different, right, and each for each group, I mean, you have got young people who refuse to learn to. That's true, that's <laughs> true. Right? So, you know, we have come across that too. So, this is something that is very important. Of course, the part about self-fulfilling prophecy, I fully agree. And older workers themselves, the other point that I would really like to add is that older workers themselves should not imbibe those values and beliefs and perceptions held by society about them and thereby become self-limiting. Right, limiting themselves, you know, to think that I can't do it, I can't do it because I'm so old already. You know, I'm already 60 years old, I'm already 63 years old, 65 years old, so I can't learn and pick up those skills. So I think older workers themselves would also have to be very mindful about that. So you might very well have companies that work on that basis, you know. So in other words, right, when it comes to appraisal, maybe my company, I will go on the basis that if you're above a certain age, I will not ever give you a better grading than, say, C or something like that, you know. I think companies that do things like that is ultimately acting against its own self-interest. Why do I say that? First of all, you demoralise the good older workers amongst your workforce. That's number one, immediate own goal. Number two, those who are not yet old in your workforce, look at what you are doing and know that everybody will age. You think the good ones will stay with you? That's two. Number three, we have an aging population, an aging workforce. And there's only so much that you can borrow from the rest of the world that society can withstand at any one point. So what it means is that if you look at which part of your workforce right, is actually the growing part. It's the mature workers. So if you don't know how to make use of the part of the resource that is growing, it is ultimately an own goal. So I just wanted to mention this and remind our employers, again, I'm not accusing employers at large, but it's just a plea to, a reminder, and an explanation to employers that if you look at the situation, I mean, you, we do business, so you have to look at the market. And if you say the labour market, then do you need people? Do you need good people? Do you need people you have to stay sharp so that you can compete? That must be in your interest as a business, you see. So if you look at it that way, then those kinds of appraisal by assumption, really, you have to reevaluate that. The other thing is that um, as people work longer and this is also facilitated by our laws so we have this retirement and re-employment age act and and we are increasing the statutory retirement age and statutory re-employment age ceilings right so what it means is that all things being equal the older worker will have a better chance and choice to continue to contribute so in that context how do you keep that worker sharp So a company also has got to look after things like succession, renewal, development of younger people and so on and so forth. So when you have a workforce that stay in work for more years, how do you actually plan that longer work life? May not be like what we used to be. You come out of school, you work, and then at, say, 55, you retire, and then that's it, you know. And if it goes up to 70, 
then how do you plan? So, for example, recently in an effort by the Singapore National Employees Federation, as part of the outcomes of the tripartite work group on older workers, so they came up with this structured career planning, which is to help our employers better career plan with our workers. Don't wait until 62 to say, how shall we spend the next three years or something? Absolutely. Think of it at 40 or something. Maybe yes. there's actually two parts to it and so on and so forth. So there are structural changes. The HR profession must also come in and learn, understand and lead the way. So many things have to adjust. Mm. Uh, it's not just the CEO, it's not just the worker. Yeah. Mm, great point. And I just want to pick up on that, career crafting. Okay. We call that career crafting. And especially, you know, for the older workers, yeah, I fully agree. In fact, I just want to even illustrate that with an example. I remember a participant of my training program, this older worker, he was in his 50s. Yeah, and he shared this. He said, you know, I've been a technician, you know, for the last 30 years. But really, actually, in, you know, in my heart, I really want to be a, a chef. I love to cook and he has even attended classes on, you know, at the CCs, you know, to learn how to cook, you know, and he cook for his family every weekend. And he said, you know, but because in my younger days, I had to be a technician because it brings in more money, you know, because, you know, it helps him to support his family. So, but when I reached that age of 50s or so, I really, you know, I have enough of, after working for about 30 years in my job, you know, I have enough of that. I really want to be a chef. And so if the company, if we can do a career development kind of program in the company, whether it be through workshops or whatever, you know, assess the older workers' abilities, skills, interests, and align it to these, you know, these various factors, then it is actually very, very useful. It, it is a win-win situation because the older worker would be more satisfied and motivated. Right? And the company can actually deploy him perhaps to the canteen. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, and you know, he could utilise his skills and his interests. You know? So what Helen uh, has quoted by way of an, an example is a second win in a different vocation. Yeah. Earlier this year, about February, I think, I visited the Bus Academy and spoke to some of the technicians there. So theirs is, they have been working on diesel engines, buses, right? Petrol engines. And then now they are going into electric vehicles. So these are different. And But if you know the skills, there are different skills, then you can continue to be a bus technician. But totally different skills and you can carry on. So you can extend your lease in a very useful and important way to the company staying in the same vocation. So there are many different ways of doing it. But the important thing is really that no point hoping that things don't change so that I don't have to figure something new. Things will change. The thing is that how can I change with it? And then society as a whole and employers, unions, workers themselves, government come together to enable and facilitate the adaptation more smoothly. That, that, that is important. I just want to go back to one more point about the pedagogy and the geology part, right? Because it struck me quite deeply because I used to train some of my colleagues on using content management system. So it's like CMS, how to upload stuff on website and all that. And it never occurred to me, like, I have to really approach it differently for people of different age group. And sometimes I find that, you know, our older colleagues, they, they tend to try and then very quickly they will forget the steps or the steps are too complicated and they couldn't catch up. So I think this part seems to be missing from a lot of our workplaces actually. A lot of times employers, they will say, okay, let's go for training. And then it's just training for everyone without taking into account their age. Absolutely. Of course, having said that, you know, we also must remember that there are some very high performing older workers who do not really require that. They could, you know, very well. Yeah, yeah, very well. You know, I mean, I've got an 82 year old senior and he's like, you know, a number of years ago, he was like using the iPad, iPhone (laughs) without any problem. You know, I mean, so we, we cannot assume there are exceptions. I mean, in a sense, but having said that, if we are looking at helping in particular the lower wage, lower skilled age group without 
with very limited education, then they do find it more challenging, generally speaking. And because that basic level of foundation is not there. So this is where the relationship part, the rapport building, understanding them, empathizing with them, their conditions, their background, you know, their fears, their lack of confidence would be very important. So that there is actually a lot of basically provide them with a lot of assurances and you know a lot of confidence enhancing kind of strategies actually it's more than assurances <laughs> and confidence and encouragement although those are very important, very important without yes. those it really is a non-starter but it is really in the scientific methods involved yes. as well yes. you see what happens is that if you go back say 40 years it's a different world 40 years ago, 50 years ago, really people were talking about and expecting lifelong employment. So you finish school, then you find an employer somewhere and chances are that you will stay with the employer until you retire and that employer, that company can actually survive that long to employ you until you retire. All that has changed, right? So what it means is that first, people are living longer. That's in the case of Singapore. They are working more years or at least the laws and so on would enable that if they choose to. Then what has happened is that technology is also changing on the side. Very so, quickly. Yeah. So here you have your supply of time, namely your work life, has lengthened. But the requirements are much more in flux than, say, 50 years ago and 40 years ago. So what it means is that this relearning uh, or learning something completely different for the next part of your work life becomes more and more likely with time. So this means that the methods which were optimised for a situation where you teach the person when the person was in school, teenager and so on, and then after that we finish school and then the rest of it is learn on the job until he retires, is different. Huh? When this person has to come back at 30, he's coming back at 40, he's coming back at 50 and learning different things. And how do you teach a 30, 40, 50, 60 you cannot again assume that uh, it is the same way. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, so yes. our institutes of higher learning, you know, our training providers, our basically the entire profession yes. is also on a learning curve. Yes, my students, my graduate students, are very diverse, from twenties to seventies. Okay, I've got students who enrolled from you know they're they're in their twenties up to seventies. So you have like. Three generations learning together. This is another one, multiple generation. You asked something about multiple gen, oh, yeah. multi-generation. I'm a young punk, but, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I got a bit impatient and I'm like, oh, you know. Yeah. 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 So there's a very important part in the sense of older workers, older adults, how do you then train them? We, we need to be cognizant about the age-associated changes. And then, you know, it's, for example, information processing abilities, memory changes. And so how then do you help them, all right, negotiate that? And at the same time, learning something new, you know, you talk about reskilling, upskilling, which is really very pertinent. So we need to be, yeah, very mindful, you know, multi-generational learning. And I think this is going to be, going forward, uh, multi-generational learning is going to be a big thing as well. You know, within the same, you know, sort of whether it's classroom or whatever kind of uh, multi-generational learning, even at the workplace, not mm. just in the classroom. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, so yeah. multi-generational, say, is another way of perhaps saying it's going to be age diverse. Mm. So one part of keeping our older workforce sharp is actually going beyond the individual skills and so on, but it's also the environment. So there are also health and safety things that, companies need to take care of and make that more doable. So, for example, lighting, mm-hmm. for example, certain hazards, all those kinds of things are knowledge and skills that companies need also to pick up and in order to make their jobs more, I say, age-universal. And then they can keep the good ones longer. I think we were talking a lot about like blue-collar workers and things. Helen, you were talking about technician, we were talking about chefs and all that. But, you know, going back to the appraisal part, you know, like how do we grade workers and all that. And I feel that there's a very big issue that will come up, which are the PMET workers. When they get to the age of 40 or 50 years old, a lot of them will end up facing the prospect of being retrenched, actually. It's not even just getting a grade C. So that would be very horrifying because, like, if they are still employed, you can say that the companies can train them, right? 
But once they drop off the workforce or they lose a job, how are we going to help them to get employed again? And at a significant, meaningful level and not like drop down to a blue-collar job, you see. How do we face this issue? How do we solve this issue? I think it is definitely very challenging. I think probably NTUC has got quite a number of some NTUC, initi- we need to help. initiatives yeah, workers. Uh, uh, you know, in this direction already. I believe we have rolled up quite a few of these initiatives, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're looking at me now. Yes, they're all looking at you. <laughs> no, no, certainly, certainly, we assure all workers in Singapore, yes. PME as well as <laughs> non-PME, NTUC will always try our best for you. That, and then the question then is, uh, what are you doing? So, PME, you are right, and it's another group. Huh? When you say PME, again, it's age diverse. Yeah. This is another way of looking at the workforce, right? So one way of looking at the workforce is by age. Another way of looking at it is whether it's PME and so on. So if you look at PME and you look at the MOM stats, then the percentage of the workforce that is reckoned as PME has also grown over mm-hmm. the years. Why? Well, it reflects our education system, it reflects our economy, it reflects the sort of industries that we attract and have set up in Singapore and the range of jobs that they do. Number two is that about two years ago, we did a project, we call it the PME Task Force. So they went out and engaged, sought the views of up to about 10,000 PMEs and they came up with some recommendations, one of which was indeed this thing about the concern amongst PMEs that in the flux of the labour market Mm -hmm. where you cannot assume lifelong employment anymore and displacement can sometimes be long and sometimes you could really fall off a cliff, you know. How do you then recover? And of course, then there's also this related concern that if you are an older PME versus a younger PME, the concern is that it might take longer to find a new job as well. And in that process the difference between your last drawn and your new pay may actually be a bigger gap compared to a younger PME. But that would be very difficult, so, right? So yeah. there, were, there are all these concerns, right? Yeah. So, so we have to acknowledge these concerns and the question is that then what do you make of all this? We are studying it very carefully and we will go and discuss and work something much more in detail with our tripartite partners. But roughly speaking, I think what is quite clear now is this. For sure, you have to plan for an environment where it is not lifelong employment, which means to say that we are going to encounter an environment where there will be gaps in employment. Even if the next new job is the same type and level as the old one, there could also be gaps. So it's not going to be continuous. So that is one. And therefore, if there are gaps, right, what additional measures by way of government policy and support, by way of tripartite cooperation, can you put in place right, to give such workers more of a safety net, the in-between, or more of a trampoline. Unemployment. As Taman has uh, also mentioned, I mean, as a concept, right? Mm. Because you have to plan on the basis that there will now be these kinds of gaps. In the environment of lifelong employment, there aren't such gaps, correct? So if the situation has changed, then how do you plan for that? And what measures? We have to discuss. Mm. Then the other one is this. If a person doesn't end up being displaced, then obviously it's much more merciful, right? Then, yep. then it's a question of you know learning from diesel or petrol into electric and so on. So in that situation, what more can you do to enhance the value of the worker in his own company so that he's able to adapt and lower the chances of displacement due to skills obsolescence? Other things like how do we better take care of the health and so on and so forth, those are also related. So if you look at it conceptually, in other words, right, if you can save a person from being displaced in the first place by matching him as best as possible and adapting with the company. So back comes the CTC concept. Mm-hmm. So you can adapt together, you stay together and you grow together. That's one. But You can't do that in every case because sometimes it's beyond the control of the company, beyond the control of of the worker. Things happen within, you know, you get a global recession or something like that. And then what do you do in order to better and more quickly match people into the new jobs? How can we further improve our matching mechanisms? And in the sustenance part in between, what more can we do? So those are the sort of practical things that we are discussing. Right. I think those are really great. And I mean, just to add to that, I think at the individual level, this is where the individuals really have to come in to really every five, ten years, 
take stock, assess, you know, what else do I need to do to remain updated, to remain current, to ensure that I will still have a job. Of course, notwithstanding that, there could be, you know, recession and whatever and, you know, disruptions. So that is beyond the person's control. But as far as possible, perhaps individuals could be self-directed, take charge, you know, and proactively keep current and, yeah, to, to maintain their... And, and to, to prevent to skills bit, yeah, I also wanted to come in on <laughs> yes. another one before, yes. okay. before I forget. <laughs> Just now I mentioned that if you look at MOM figures, right, the percentage of the workforce reckoned as PME has been growing over the years. So now... If you go by that PMET okay. definition, is already more than half, mm-hmm. and PME is more than a third, and both are growing. So now imagine a situation where your last PME, right? If you line them up, is but one third mark is growing. So in other words, you must expect that more and more of your workforce will become PME in time to come. Then you have to also then think. Just because I give you a PME title, job title, but if I line you up and you are actually at the three-quarter mark from the top, then what would be your needs? What would be your worries? And what should I do to support you? Will be different from if you are at the top 5%, right? So again, so PME using... Helen's word, uh, it's not homogeneous, it's, it's heterogeneous. heterogeneous. Yes. Yeah. In the end, if 100% of our workforce is called PME, then obviously you're going to get the spread again. So we again have to drill down and ultimately be able to customise. So our systems, processes, structures will have got to be very adaptable. Yes. So customization and individualization will be very important to mm-hmm. ensure a good person-to-job fit. And this is where, you know, back to our point about assumptions, <laughs> yeah. you know, and not assume that, you know, just because the person is 60 years old, you know, he or she cannot be doing certain, certain jobs. Of yeah. course, so, but is there uh, any need to redesign or create older worker-friendly jobs? How can we do that? Well, <laughs> I would say that actually, again, redesigning and designing jobs, uh, it should be to maintain health, you know, so to extend working lifespan is critical for all, not just for older workers, for all. You know, if you look at Norway, for example, the I remember visiting this company, this organisation, very, very interesting. They are engaged in this oil industry and employing a number of older workers. So what they did was that they invested rather heavily on ergonomic design as well as extending the health span of their workers, all right? So I think that is very critical. So it's not just job reading, designing, I would say is something that is for all workers just to maintain their workability, yeah? And when we talk about older worker job, I actually don't really like that term of jobs that are for older workers because there is that underlying assumption, uh, if we talk about that, is that older workers cannot perform certain kind of jobs, which I think we are trying to refrain from that because actually there are some older workers you know, who could actually perform you know, as well. In fact, perhaps even better than some younger workers. Right? So it is not just restricted. Having said that, uh, there could be certain jobs that in a sense, in general, older workers may be a little bit more suited, for example, some customer-facing kind of work. You know, they are pretty good in handling. You know, Tafet research has actually shown that where there are fewer customer confrontations attributed to the presence of older workers. So if there are older workers, they tend to have, you know, fewer customer confrontations. So in that sense, you know, they are pretty good with interpersonal skills, problem-solving skills, you know, and managing certain crisis sort of situations. So in that sense, they are good with that. And of course, mentoring, coaching, those, I think we know that pretty well. But maybe I can help with a couple of examples sure. where there is a difference between the older worker and the younger worker. Sure. So for example, we will say, let's say physically, you may not be as strong as a younger okay, worker, right? so physical. Uh, yeah. I just want to qualify. The physical condition of the average 50-year-old today is much better than the physical condition of a 50-year-old 40 years ago. Mm. Okay, But at any one point, the 50-year-old perhaps is not as physically strong as, let's say, a 25-year-old. In the same point in time, all things being equal, I'm talking about averages. So... What can be done, right? Assuming you want to take care of this aspect as well so that you are able to help extend the effective working life of a, a good attitude, otherwise high-performing older worker. 
So, for example, there are jobs that got redesigned because the equipment got introduced to make it less laborious and less tedious and less strenuous. I'll give you one specific example. If you go to hotels, for example, if you say the work of chambermaids and they have to change the bed sheets and so on, they lift the bed, it's heavy duty. So what have been done over the years, other than to say that please keep doing and I'll give you incentives by the number of rooms you do, there are also hotels that have gone into using lifting devices to help lift the beds and, and, and so on. So it makes it lighter. There are hotels that have paired the older one with the younger one so that you know the older one knows how quickly tuck things in and the younger one has the strength. There are so many different ways in which jobs can actually be repackaged, redesigned and recombined. Sometimes with technology, sometimes by processing, sometimes by combining different skills and physical attributes of their manpower. So that's one. Another example would be in the security sector. So basically the typical one is you do patrolling in order to check. And this can also be quite strenuous. And of course, with technology, then you're talking about control rooms, cameras, and so on. And then you can actually activate response units by looking at the TVs, as opposed to walking and then you know, feeling more and more challenged that way. In fact, I remember the Prime Minister in this year's National Day rally, he quoted another example in the port, right, where there was this worker who used to work in the tower crane and he had to climb all and be alone up there and it wasn't easy at all. But now again, they have computerized and the efficiency of the operations have gone up. His value at his productivity as a result has gone up and he is controlling not one crane but multiple cranes, key cranes. So all these kinds of things can be done. The question then would be that how do we actually bring such knowledge and share such knowledge amongst employers of related industries and then what can be done to help them and nudge these kinds of movements and then at the same time looking over to the worker side to say that now climbing up and working as a solo in a key crane is not the same as controlling it in the control room so again new skill sets so if everybody do their part then there is extension. Right now, we're talking about redesign and all that. But of course, there's one question that's on a lot of people's minds about the retirement age, right? If you can work until then, that would be great. But if you can't even continue to work, what's the meaning of having this 67, 68 years of retirement age when no employer wants to employ me, right? Can we get your perspective on this, about this retirement age in Singapore? And also, obviously, the other part is about the retirement adequacy. Do they have enough basic retirement sum for the CPF, for the older workers? How do we look at this retirement each? May I go first on this one? Sure. <laughs> I'm very passionate yeah, about this okay. one. <laughs> first of all, first of all uh, I want to say that uh, we, we have a piece of legislation, uh, we have a law called the RRA, uh, which is the Retirement and Reemployment Age Act. Our statutory retirement age, whatever the existing number, the definition of our retirement age is quite different from that of retirement ages in many other countries. Okay. Why, why, why do I say that? In many other countries, when they have a retirement age, the understanding is that when you reach that age, you must retire. You must retire. In Singapore, it's not like that. Our statutory retirement age says that if Let's say that if the retirement age is 63, statutory retirement age is 63, then no company operating in Singapore is allowed to call up a worker and says, who is, say, 59, and says that, you know, you've rendered very good service to our company, you've performed very well, everything is very good, and according to our company policy, uh, company retirement age is 59, so thank you very much, you know, and, 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 and so on. So you're not allowed to do that. So in other words, ours is a safeguard put in so that, it, so that a person cannot be retired on no other reason than age before he or she reaches the statutory retirement age. Okay, so, so, so we're protecting someone's so job, a, actually. Yeah, so ours protect. is not the end. Yes, yeah. Ours is to make sure that the end doesn't come just because of age, before that age. And also, when a person reaches that retirement age, the person can continue working. So there in comes this re-employment age. 
Okay, so you tack on. And actually, even beyond the re-employment age ceiling, if a person wants to continue working and the company, do not legally oblige, wants to employ that person because the person has value, has relevant experience, totally encourage, totally the possible and, and legal in, in, in Singapore may not be the case in, in some other places. So this is what it means. Now, just because you have a law, does it mean to say that you always have a job? Well, it doesn't mean that either. So the law cannot guarantee that aspect. So in order to have a job, so first of all, there must be the company. And so it is the overall macroeconomics of it. We must make it attractive for people to start business here and operate here and create jobs here. Then secondly, they need workers to fulfill their job requirements. So then we have to then see how and what can we do so that our workers, as time goes by, continues to be renewed in their skills so that they are evergreen, if I can sort of use that concept. Though things change, but they renew themselves and therefore always remain relevant. And if you can do that, that together with the law, that together with a viable economy that continues to create jobs and therefore the demand for labour, when put everything together, then you have a fighting chance. But if your economy tanks and there are 10 workers of varying ages and there are only two jobs, then uh, no law can guarantee 10 jobs for all the 10. So the economic part of it is very important, but if there is a job, then how do we give a fair go for our older workers? So the wherewithal, the skills and so on, the health. Helen, what's your take on this? You, you mentioned about retirement adequacy yes. earlier on. I mean, you could look at retirement in various ways. There are some, I mean, it was quite interesting, you know, in some of the classes that I've conducted for older workers, they said, oh, do we have to work, work until we drop dead? <laughs> you know, that the, yeah, they have, this, they have this perception. That is why I, sorry, that is why I, I want to spend time, and I spent time just now trying to explain the difference between ours and, and some other places. Well, first of all, nobody is forced to work one more day than he or she wishes. <laughs> Anyone, whatever age, right? You can just quit, right? <laughs> exactly. So everybody knows that that is the case and somehow rather that, 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 yes. that misperception yeah. persists in some cases. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's really as, as, as a perception. But retirement adequacy is certainly a worrying, concerning area, which is why I think the government has been promoting you know, employment and employability of older workers. And I think in a sense, there are many benefits associated with working. So many older workers themselves want to continue to work. They do not want to rely on their children you know, for financial support. In fact, a study, a uh, recent study uh, by the UNUS as well, you know, Centre for Aging uh, Research and Education, also revealed uh, that they are afraid of conflicts that could be created because of they are having to rely on their children for financial support. That study revealed that. And also they are afraid that their children may then put them in a nursing home, you know, because, you know, if they are not able to support themselves. So, it is, I mean, this is based on the evidence, the research that has been carried out, I think 2020, 2021, around that period. So it's, it's not a, it's a pretty recent study, which is why I think older workers themselves recognise that. And then they also recognise that their longevity, that you know, life expectancies have increased and they need to continue to work to support themselves. So, yeah, so I think the... That part about reliance on family is certainly a worry, a concern for them. In general, I think if you ask a person that says that uh, what, what, if you have to live long, what else would you like to add on besides the number of years you are alive? I think the person will probably think and say, I want to live well, however you define well, and have peace of mind. So if you think this way, live long, live well, and with peace of mind, then notions of how can I earn my keep, secure my retirement as best as possible, how can I remain relevant and in demand so that together with the measures taken by the state and taken by employers and unions that I can then continue to be in demand? I think that is the thing. And then on top of that, what else can they do to hold me up where there are gaps that I may get displaced involuntarily and all that? That will then go towards the peace of mind and in the retirement adequacy that how do I continue 
to know that as a society that we will cohere and that this mutual trust and mutual support that is very characteristic of Singapore society, that we will continue to nurture and foster this part. So I think those would be the things that will stand us in good stead. I think I, I just want to, some final points here, just encapsulated in perhaps I'll say four A's. First of all, I cannot overemphasize that point about assumptions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Refraining from assumptions, right? We need to really dispel all these ageist myths about older adults, older workers. Now, secondly, the next A that I would say is assimilation. Assimilate older workers and, you know, in fact, seniors into society. And we could form various structures, create policies and structures to assimilate them to our society. And we, we need to do that. Thirdly, I think we need to promote the agency of older workers. Older agency meaning autonomy, independence. And so employment is one strategy, one way in which that agency could be promoted to encourage them to take charge you know, to decide for themselves what do they want, you know, ultimately, what do they want for themselves, you know, and, and not to feel that, you know, everything is being imposed upon me, yeah. They can take charge of that. And finally, uh, the last A is advocacy, all right. As people who work with older adults and, you know, society at large, I would say we need to continue to advocate for seniors, for older workers, so that they could, yeah, they could leave out their their supposedly golden years really in a golden way. <laughs> yeah. And and not to feel that, you know, they are forgotten and discarded and nobody wants them and you know, they they're just and I think if we want to create a society that is really that that value older persons and we are gonna get there too. Right. And yeah, you know, and, and I think by the way that we treat older people today, all right, we are gonna be treated in the same in future, way in right? future. <laughs> yeah, in the same way, yeah. So I think we, we just need to be mindful Every, Everybody that. wants to feel that he matters. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Helen Ko. Thank you, Mr. Heng Chi Hao. Today we learned a new acronym, 4As. So thank you for talking about the ageism in Singapore and hopefully we can help to reduce such incidents in the workplace, in this society and, and build a better Singapore, right? Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Thank you. A pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, thanks. Yeah. Thank you all for listening in. See you on the next episode of On Diversity. On Diversity is a podcast inspired by the Institute of Policy Studies Managing Diversity's Research Programme. We are available on Omni.fm, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Please follow or subscribe to the On Diversity podcast to get notified when we have a new episode. You can visit our website, ipscommons.sg, for more information.